Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Alright everybody, welcome to Pine Class Preachers. I'm Tom, you know Gabe and Josh are here as well. And uh, today we are going to be talking about road trips. We're going to be talking about being on the road, a lot of different things about that. And so to get us kind of in the mood, I want to give you the definitive rules of quote unquote shotgun. Okay, now this is how you should be able to pick fairly and squarely who gets to sit in the front seat. Now, the rules are that once you get outside of the building, then you are able to call shotgun. It's just outside. If you have a house that's into a garage, that counts as well. So if you're the first person out, you do not have to wait for everybody to be outside. If you get outside first, you can call shotgun. Now, here's the thing. You get shotgun until the next time the car stops. So if you get out for gas, then you have to call shotgun again, unless you don't get out. But then you risk, you know, like if you have to pee, you're going to have to get out, right? Now, being in shotgun does give you responsibilities. You're in charge of the music. You're traditionally in charge of directions as well. However, smartphones have really changed how these jobs uh, are are distributed amongst the passengers of the vehicle. So really anyone can now control the music and the directions via Bluetooth technology, right? Now, here's the thing. Drivers can still trump any shotgun call in favor of a desired front seat companion. However, if you have someone who is 6'2 and taller, they automatically get shotgun because of the longer legs. However, if the significant other is in the car, they automatically trump anybody else. Now, are we clear on these directions? Because it, it, this is really important for all road trips. So that being said, let's get into it. All right, I'm going to take issue with so much. One. So much? Well, I well, feel like so the last time I had a conversation about shotgun, I was like 12 or 16, maybe 20. Yeah, 20 is about the I, last I, time. I haven't called shotgun in like 12 years. I know, which means, which means one, we're all maturing, and two, we don't take enough road trips with friends. I also prefer true. to call it maturing. <laughs> maturing. <laughs> okay, no, Gabe, so what is one, I've always played by the rule. It's not just being outside. You the vehicle has to be in sight. Oh, like you have to okay. be able to see the vehicle. Interesting. Okay. okay. So so I would do that. And then two, I guess this isn't taking an issue. I'm just looking for a point. But you, you can't be like you can't be in the living room looking outside the window and calling shotgun. You have to Correct. be outside. You have to be outside and seeing the or vehicle. or at least moving toward the vehicle. So like if you're in the living room and you all stand up to go leave the home to get into the vehicle, then you can call shotgun. No, right? no, no. You have no, to you be outside. Be outside. Yeah. I agree with the outside. Fresh really? air has to be hitting you. Yes. Yeah. And then the other thing, though, this is more a clarification, not a contention. Um, your gas station scenario. Like, yeah. let's say let's say you, me, and Josh are on a road trip, and I am uh -huh. uh, over six feet two, so I'm in the front seat because Josh is a hobbit. And uh, <laughs> Wait, this sounds like such a great idea, and the perfect time to announce Pine Class Preachers is going on the road, what? coming to a city near you. Uh, look out, Des Moines. Look out, Boise. <laughs> look out, other Dude, random city that no one goes to. We're not All even right. good enough. We're not even good enough for Des Moines. We'd be in like Ankeny, Iowa. Now we're talking. 
No, so let's say the three of us are on a road trip. And, you know, Tom, you're obviously the dad of the group. So you get I'm out driving. Get, you're driving. You get out to get gas. Uh, and Josh is in the back seat, the child. And I, the mom, uh, get out. <laughs> <laughs> and I go to, uh, to use the restroom. Now, per your rules that you laid out in the intro, can Josh just hop into the front seat and there's nothing I can do about it? Or does he also have to get outside call shotgun and then go into the front seat. Well, first of all, let's take this back to, let's say no one's over six, two, right? Okay. Okay. Let's ignore that rule. Yeah. yeah. Right, fine. Well, mom he, would get the front yes. seat. Mom would get shotgun anyway. Well, I'm not well, really no, a mom. We're though, not though, a family. So, Nobody yeah, families just, aren't road trips. That's that a family a joke, trip. Josh. <laughs> oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm I thought, we were, being, I, I thought okay. we were being serious. I thought we were actually assigning roles for our road no, no, trip. No, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. Our, our, the three of us are on a road trip, and let's say there's a fourth person. Dad, you're you're in, buddy. Um, so, <laughs> so, welcome, Dad. Welcome to the road trip. We're glad to have you, man. Yep. So we're in the car together, and Gabe, you're in shotgun, and we pull over to get gas, and uh, you get out to to relieve yourself or, or to go snap into a slim gym or something like that, Buy right? Cigarettes. Great. Right. Reference. Right. Um, yes, noose. anybody can get out, call shotgun, but then they have to get in the, they have to get in the front seat and then that's it. They're, they're there now. Yeah. So, you have to get out. Yeah. So like, you have to get out. Just sneak up. Listen, here's how, here's, here's how this would work. Here's how this would work. If old man, dad, Tom was getting out to pump the gas and complaining about the price of gas at every city we stop in to get gas <laughs> and Gabe was going in to get another pack of Newports, I would exit the backseat. <laughs> Virginia Slims, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Virginia Slims. I would exit the rear seat of the vehicle and I would, as Gabe is walking away from me into the convenience part of the store, I would yell to him, shotgun. I would do some thrusting motions in the air just to prove my victory. And then I would very, very casually just enter the front seat of the vehicle, right, shut the door. Ma- and then when Gabe is coming back out of the convenience store, since Tom is an old person and drives a car without power locks, I would then <laughs> make eye contact with Gabe and put the tip of my finger on that little nubbin of a door lock <laughs> and push it down as he thinks he's returning to reclaim his rightful shotgun seat. And how right, sad right. would you be because the pack of now and laters that I bought for you would stay in my <laughs> pocket and you wouldn't get any of them. So, so there's, there's a so lot of bad. scenarios that could happen here. Now, me being the driver, and it's my vehicle, I could say, you know what? I don't want Josh being shotgun. Sorry, you're out. Gabe's still in because I'm the driver, and I can do that. No, you can't. Or no, yes, can't be yeah, driver car. does have ultimate say. Yeah, and oh, or a break. or In what rule? Midwestern rules, maybe not out on the west coast. <laughs> or, or if I'm tired of driving. I would say, Gabe, you need to spell me and drive. I automatically get shotgun because is, it is my vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Wait, you get to you get to spell me? Spell me. Yeah, like give me a yeah. bri- a breather. I've n- I literally have never heard that saying in my entire life. Spell yeah, me. Hang out in the Midwest more, bro. Spell me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. G- Google that. I- I'm I'm not going to. I trust you, but but this heard that. Learn something every day, folks. There you sure go. Enough. We're we're learning. Hey, and in the learning it, stuff it, every day. In the words I, uh, of Marva Dawn, we just had a royal waste of time. Nice. It's a great book. No, no. Um, it's, it's, a great, it's a great people, book. I think people 
enjoyed hearkening back to their to their uh, to their childhood, to their their tweens, their teens, and their college years. I think it, they like that exactly, Tom. Which is why I just referenced a book on the Sabbath by Marvadon. All right. So <laughs> speaking of things, uh, a study went out by Christianity Today. Uh, titled, Can Christians Drink Alcohol? Here's what a thousand Protestant churchgoers think. So they interviewed a thousand Protestant churchgoers. And uh, this was their list. I don't know if this is the top five, but these are the five they listed. So in fifth place of Protestant churchgoers, which one of the, which ones of them drink? 23% of Pentecostals drink. Mm. Fourth place, 33% of Baptists. What? No. Yeah. Baptists don't drink. 43% of non-denominationals. Second place, 62% of Methodists. And gentlemen, we finally won something. Be oh, Lutheran oh. is finally paying off. 76% of Lutherans drink. Yes. We did it, you guys. Does this, does this exclude communion wine? Ew. Now, the, the struggle here, though, of course, is that they only interviewed Protestants, so our Brothers and sisters in the Catholic faith, uh, I don't know. I think a German Lutheran verse, an Irish Catholic, it would be, it'd be a real, a real Wait, throwdown. What, what about a Greek Orthodox? What's this stuff? What's that know. Greek liquor that they drink? They take Uzo. shots of? Uzo. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Does the, uh, does the local Orthodox priest, I mean, is he knocking back some Uzo? Is he imbibe? I don't Ooh, know. I don't, hmm. We have a great next name. week on Pine Class Preachers. <laughs> Dude, we need hey, speaking of which, to any of our listeners who know, say, a Russian, Coptic, Egyptian, or Russian Orthodox priest, I would love oh. to have I would love to have someone like that on the show. So if oh, any of our oh. listeners happen to have a personal relationship with someone, uh please text us. And also if you have a relationship with a left-handed re red haired uh Egyptian Tom. Coptic like Okay, Come they're on. orthodox. <laughs> oh my, you know what? You two are the worst. Shotgun, right, well, shotgun, shotgun, I called it. Speaking of Lutherans who drink, what are we drinking tonight, gents? I'm killing these transitions. Yeah, you are. Woo! All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start because I uh, I was out to uh, out with friends and my lovely wife, and we went to a restaurant called Mercy, and we had a daiquiri. And you're thinking, Tom, you had a daiquiri? That sounds weird. And I am not talking about the strawberry... Uh, a crushed ice uh, umbrella drink. Uh, what it was, it was it was simple. It was rum. It was lime. It is uh, nutmeg infused cane sugar and some bitters. And so this, I I I went and got the ingredients. I brought it home and I was able to to master this drink. And I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with you guys because it is cheap. It is wonderful. It is two shots of Bacardi Gold. That is a pretty cheap rum. You can get a liter for about 15 bucks. Okay. I'll take a liter of cola. Go on. <laughs> Two shots of Bacardi Gold. You are then going to do a half, not even a half, a quarter shot of, of lime juice, fresh squeezed lime juice. All right. You are then going to take some cane sugar. You're going to sprinkle some nutmeg over it. You're going to like mix it all up. You're going to throw it into a pan. You're going to throw some water in it. You're going to create a simple syrup. All right. You're going to let that cool. Then you're going to do three tablespoons of this nutmeg infused cane sugar. You're going to throw that in your drink. And then finally, you're going to take some bitters and you're going to do a couple drops of that. All right. You are going to shake that with ice. You're going to shake it up about 20 times. You're going to pour it into a glass. It is, it is delightful. That was I'll tell you, it does sound good, Tom. 
a lot it of instructions like a lot of work a lot of work Ooh. yes plus i don't nah. have bitters i don't have bitters i don't have any rum at my house right now and i only have the lime juice that comes in the green bottle oh, maybe but, it's the sophisticated household that has some of these easy the, to own and easy to purchase says the guy products. who is just eating tater tots with a fork <laughs> that's how sophisticated he is. <laughs> so true. That's right. What do you want from me? Can't lower himself to hold a tater tot between his <laughs> thumb and index finger. <laughs> uh, so speaking of sophistication, I've been in this like weird mode where I just want to drink cheap beer lately, and uh, so I have uh, some. Ice? No, I mean a little bit classier than that. Uh, not much though. Uh, some no, Lab nope. Some Labatt Blue, uh, <laughs> the Canadian Pilsner, and uh, cheers to our neighbors to the north. Thanks for for this fine uh, beverage. So that's all, that's what I got tonight. I do recall the intro to our B sides, where I think I tell you to crawl out of the Labatt Blue cave where you came from. <laughs> I wish I wish I, just, I had something as good I, as that, I, but I, I don't. Wonder, I just wonder what the listener who is like. I don't know if we have any listeners who are honestly like waiting for our beer selection or our drink selection. Are like, oh, I wonder what they're going to have this weekend. Oh, I'm going to go try that. And then you bust out a Labatt Blue. <laughs> I wonder what the level of disappointment is for that listener. Well, let me redeem whoever that that listener would be that would that could potentially um, feel some disappointment because of Gabe's poor choice in beer tonight. I uh, attended my local growler menu. And it's been a long time since I featured Jackalope Brewing Company from Nashville on the Pint Glass Preachers. Oh, but their, their Thunder Ann American Pale Ale, also known as an APA, also known as kind of a weak sauce IPA uh, or less hipster IPA, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, it is really <laughs> delicious and it's nice and smooth, has a great mouthfeel, almost kind of like a, a steam beer or a cream ale would have. But the nice bittering agents of, uh, of the hops are, are shining through brightly. So... Thank you, I Jackalope. I will tell you, I had a jalapeno cream ale last night that was dang near perfect. Like with jalapeno, anytime you do that, you can overdo it. But it was perfect. Listen, Tom, jalapeno cream cheese poppers from TGI Fridays does not count as a jalapeno <laughs> cream ale. Okay. One of those landing in your Bud Light does not count as a cream <laughs> ale. <laughs> yes. Oh, look at this. Look at this fancy garnish. It's a jalapeno popper that I put in my Bud Light. <laughs> hey, I will say this. Can I give an additional shout out, though? Uh, I am drinking my beer of choice this evening in a Dave Gibbons Reformation Einbecker oh, glass gift. So, Dave, once again, cheers to you, friend and listener wow. of the pod. Apropos to to Gabe's uh, survey results, I mean, good job, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. guys. Our listeners should know we just plan these things so far ahead of time. That's why we're always on point. It's true. Hey, speaking of being on point, uh, we're going to get to our topic for tonight. So maybe. An Maybe. actual point. Uh, yeah. And so what we're getting at, uh, so one of my favorite thinkers right now, authors, is a guy named Mark Sayers. He's a Australian pastor and cultural commentator, uh, runs a fantastic podcast called This Cultural Moment. Uh, highly recommend you listen to that. Don't stop listening to us, but listen to that too. Uh, and, uh, and count your blessings when you do. Yeah. Yeah. At any we rate. are so poor and they're so great. <laughs> They really are. Uh, at any rate, uh, but one of his books that he wrote, this is actually a few years ago, but it was called The Road Trip That Changed the World. 
Uh, it's him basically reading Jack Kerouac's The Road, but interpreting kind of the last five decades through that novel and sort of explaining why we are where we are as Americans and people in the West more generally. Uh, and it's it's fascinating, but really a lot of what he gets at is the relationship between uh, this idea, I guess, you know, I'd frame it, well, he frames it in the back of the book of, we want to be a part of something meaningful, but not bound by it. That we have this desire for connectivity, and yet we fear commitment, we're commitment phobic. And so he really explores where that came from, why so many of us operate that way. And so we're going to spend some time uh, exploring that uh, in some of the conversations we've had with friends of ours, and in some of the commentary that he has in this book. And so Stick around. It's going to be an invigorating conversation. Shotgun. everybody welcome back we're excited to talk about the road trip that changed the world uh but to get at like this idea of a changed world uh i kind of want to just read a, a quick quote for you the good listener from um this book in which mark sarah's explores jack kerouac's the road and explain kind of maybe the western ideal if you will of 50 60 years ago and so sayers puts it like this he says uh before kerouac changed the life script of the west life was processed through the idea of home. Home was not just a building in which you lived. It was a place to which you were deeply connected. Home was a family and a community of people to whom you belong. Home was a unified worldview. This worldview infused every part of your life. It informed your recreational life, your work life, your religious life, even your sex life. This sense of home was held together by traditions and a way of life to which the individual submitted. And so you can kind of tell, you know, in that quote, he gets at this idea that that there was, you know, historically in the West, the ideal kind of is is formed by this this uh, this idea of home that that if you have this community, you have these people to which you belong, to which you conform your life to, uh, that that was what people idealized. That's what they strived for, uh, and then he argues later that that's not the ideal in the West anymore. You know, ironically. Um, I, I recall we referenced Sayers uh, as well as his compatriot on this cultural moment, um, John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer, uh, while we were speaking at Arcadia, and I think we've actually mentioned that before. However, I decided to because you believe him to be such a savant, I said, you know, I should buy his uh, a few of his books. So I bought uh, the Road Trip book and and a few others, and I started with that one because the title honestly caught me. And I was I was I was reading through it, I was like, oh wow, this is. Is pretty fascinating. It's pretty interesting. I think he's he's spot on. And ironically, or maybe not ironically, perhaps providentially, within a couple weeks of me almost finishing that book, I got a call from a college roommate of mine, and he and his wife were going to be passing through Chattanooga. And so they were like, "Hey, we're going to be coming through. We haven't seen you in a few years. Can we stop by and and hang out?" And I was like, "Yeah, dude, totally. This will be really great to catch up." And I asked him if he needed a place to stay, if he wanted to, you know, crash in our basement or whatever. And he's like, actually, we've got a van that we've converted into sort of like a traveling RV kind of setup. Um, think, you know, a tiny house meets 
van uh, meets RV meets camper and everything a hipster would dream of driving around the country in. And he goes, what we've been doing is we've just been traveling around the U.S., catching up with friends and, and people that we used to used to know and just spending time with them and seeing how they live. And that's really all we're hoping to accomplish when we come to Chattanooga. So I was like, okay, cool. Great, man. This will be fantastic. And so no joke, when they they rolled up, they pulled up in this van, parked in my driveway. And for f- almost five days, like we just caught up on life and what was happening and where they were coming from. And what he was describing was essentially what Sayers asserts in that book and I think is reflective of Kerouac's own journey you know, 40, 50 years ago. And that is this idea that like, I used to run the corporate rat race. I used to feel like I was sort of constricted and confined by this, uh, you know, nostalgia of, you know, settling down and, and, and putting down roots and raising a family, yada, yada, yada. And instead, you know, I just wanted to, to kind of be free and I just wanted to, to roam and explore and, and have this adventure with my, you know, with my spouse and my partner. And so that's what they've been doing for like six or seven months have just been driving around the country uh, without really any ties to anyone or anything, just just taking on this kind of culture of the nomad. You know what I mean? Uh, and I know Kerouac doesn't use that that phrase necessarily, but this idea that like, hey, we can we can sort of live our life uh, and we can we can do it sort of uninhibited um, in a way. And it, it was really strange because he was coming from a super corporate background, like. Had, had been climbing the ranks uh, at a car company here in the States. I mean, you name it, he was getting to drive really, really nice vehicles, take, you know, kind of jet-setting trips around the globe. I mean, cash flow was not an issue. And yet, there was this traumatic experience that he had with a coworker of his uh, where he found himself sitting in this church and heard a preacher say, hey, there's some of you who just need to be free and just need to, you know, like, let go. And for him, he interpreted that as I need to quit the corporate rat race and kind of go on this adventure and and journey on this road trip. And so that's what they've been doing for like six or seven months, you know, and it was, it was really fascinating to hear and, and honestly kind of exciting. I know my wife was sort of jealous that, you know, we can't just kind of load all of our kids up in a van and drive around and see you and Tom and and all of our other friends that that we once knew. But at the same time, it also created some conflict for me. And so I mean, I don't know, like, is there something to this, this idea that, you know, the, the family, the roots, the, you know, purposeful dwelling in one particular place are, is just kind of endemic of of bygone days. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Like I was just kind of paying attention to my own, um, I know emotions as you were saying that. And as you described that, like, converting a van and making it just like this livable space and just driving around and and seeing different sites, visiting friends and family, like this emotion drove up me was like, Oh, that would be so awesome. Like that sort of liberation, that lack of obligation to, to just sort of have that amount of freedom in my life. I was like, I don't know, maybe they're onto something. And, and I don't know, good listener, if that, that would be your experience too. If you're like, Yo, I, I want to do that. And I think, I don't know, it is perha- perhaps endemic of of things I see, especially perhaps in our generation of folks who like, they, they just don't want to settle down or be obligated or committed in, in one place. And like the idea of that freedom of that luxury of not having any constraints put on them. 
Yeah, but aren't you just swapping one type of constraint for another? I mean, like while while they were here, they still ha so even though he had, I, I don't want to use the word retired because he didn't retire, but had been cashing in on some savings in order to kind of finance this this road trip, right? Yet his wife, super successful graphic illustrator, has been working on some fantastic projects of global renown, all right? Not going to name drop, but Drake, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, could be a potential, oh, I don't know, fizzy bottle of some liquid that makes one feel great in the club. Um, mm -hmm. You know, being released soon. LaCroix. Yes, is it LaCroix. LaCroix. Oh, it is, it is LaCroix. Is, is uh, Drake in the LaCroix game now? Yeah, but in France, they call it LaCroix. LaCroix. Okay, kind of like a croissant. Mm. Um, but... Anyway, you know, so like on the one hand, he had, he had kind of give up this this rat race of a very toxic corporate work environment, um, but at the same time, like she's still pursuing this this very successful and quite honestly like lucrative illustrating career and graphic design career, and so, you know, he okay, he's okay. able to kind of let go, but at the same time, like if you were to listen to some of the conversations, there are different types of constraints. Like they were always trying to plan, okay, what's the next route? How are we going to do this? What Walmart can we park in? Where are we going to find, you know, the supplies that we need for this? Who are we going to meet up with? You know what I mean? So it was like the scheduling wasn't as intense or, or necessarily as monetarily driven as like a sales quota or something like that. But at the same time, it was this new, it was a new framework. It was a new set of pressures, a new set of, of constriction, a new set of, you know, rules to live by, so to speak that was then embodied on this road trip. It wasn't as if they're just like, we're going to live in a van, man, and drive around. It'll be cool. Like there's planning. There's, um, you know, you have to take into account safety. Like that's one thing he was constantly referencing was like, there are just some places that they couldn't park their van because they didn't feel safe about doing it. You know? So it's like, aren't, aren't we just, is, is that kind of ideal that it's glamorized these days? Isn't it just swapping out? one set of constrictions, one set of roots for another. Okay. So I think we just made a whole bunch of like value judgments that I'm not sure are either fair or we could, we can make them, you know, that's what we theologians do, Tom. Yeah. That's good job true. guys. I mean, Gabe, you were talking about, uh, you know, like toxic corporate climbing the ladder I think we're all climbing the ladder no matter where we are. It, like whatever job, I'm in the nonprofit world, someone's in the corporate world, you're in you're you're in the clergy and there's always like what's the next step? How can I get in front of more people? What, you know, right? Like there's How can always I build my platform whatever, whatever. Right, there's always some kind of ladder. We were making a, ju a value judgment on on like it sounds like this guy, I I heard jet setting and I heard some other things that made it sound like his corporate ladder wasn't so toxic like seems like it was a pretty decent deal some people may enjoy that some people may not we're making judgments on whether constraints are are bad or not and i also heard that like commit like different styles of of commitment or commitment to certain things are maybe better or worse and i think we should unpack a couple of those things at least well, I think on the one hand, the the reference that that Mark Sayers makes, as well as what Kerouac was kind of reacting neg negatively against, was that in in their minds, or not in Sayers' minds, but what he is able to you know kind of discern or or exegete, so to speak, 
is, and what Kerouac was reacting against was this idea that like everything that Gabe said and, and was quoted in the book, like family, sex, you know, location, geography, employment was all tied to like specific place so that it, therefore to be liberated from that is to then explore you know a sense of place outside of where that rootedness is um yet at the same time like i feel like there's something perhaps there's something lost when we react so negatively not in a antagonistic kind of way but so negatively in an in an opposite kind of way to that idea to then we we go to the other end of the spectrum where we sort of forsake all those things and then make the same kind of value judgments so i'm the same kind of value statements against them and say like the only way to truly live life to its fullest or to explore you know successes or desires or whatever is to actually completely undermine any sort of rudeness at all and and i don't know if that's necessarily i don't know if that's that's a good thing or a healthy thing or or from my perspective, a, a biblical thing. So well, let me, well, go ahead. before we jump into the biblical thing, like the, th the thing that jumps to mind right there is kind of to heat to each his own, right? Like for some people, their best self and where they get the most energy is that, that corporate rat race, if you will, the, the competition or whatever. For some people, it's like, I can't stand this. I need to be out in a van driving around, you so, know? It's interesting you used that phrase, Tom, like to, to each his own, uh, because that would get at some of the, the hyper-individualism that, that is really introduced by Kerouac in, in The Road, but then critiqued by Sayers in, in this book, in that like, not only that, what, but Kerouac eventually turns his back on that. Well, true. So, but but so, what does what does that even mean to each his own? Like, what if? I mean, I mean, you end up in a world in which it's like, well, what if my own thing is? Uh, I don't know, killing puppies. Okay. Um, now yeah, you're pulling a Josh, Gabe. Now you're pulling a Josh. I don't know. I, no, I'm just saying. Like, I think our the, the well, Gabe, your your thing was being a pastor. Mine's not. Well, and that's fine, right? But there, there's a no. But that's what I'm exactly talking about. I, you like soccer, I like basketball. Well, here, here let me let me bring this a little bit more concrete, okay? With a specific situation that I'm referencing, mm -hmm. in conversations over the course of four or five days, when I'm hanging out with my buddy and former college roommate, right? He and his wife have told us very clear and very adamant about it in in the best possible sense said that they have no intention of having biological children. It's just not for them. It's not something they want to do. They'd rather invest their time into their nieces and nephews, right? And they see nothing wrong with that. And at the same time, they also see it as totally valid and reasonable and okay and, and great that s people like Jenny and I have, have decided to have four kids and settle down and to really invest in this kind of like traditional family unit, so to speak. And so in that sense, like to what Gabe was saying, to each his own, so then can we actually make any kind of value statement, not even a judgment, just a value statement of is one better than the other? Is more is one more valid than the other? Is one more important or necessary or vital than the other? You know what I mean? Because like though that that's such a concrete thing to either say, hey, I'm not having any kids and I'm going to kind of focus on 
what I want to do, what what my me and my wife want to do, what this relationship wants to accomplish, versus now you're kind of tied down, Josh and Jenny, with four little ones and a church and a little mid-sized city called Chattanooga. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's and so I think to me, like the the way I think about it is it is it comes down to an issue of uh, here's a fun word of of teleology, right? Mm. And, mm. And, Tom. And I I know I talk about this a lot, but right. So, so teleology being telos, like, like the Greek word for goal, like, like, what are you aiming towards? What are you headed towards? Like, what's the, the end goal and what you're doing. And so I think to me, that's my, my struggle with the logic of to, to each his own, whatever is that it leads the telos that that statement implies that every human being's end goal is their own personal happiness. And, and so you're right. I don't have to go to the extreme of, well, my personal happiness is killing puppies, but, but even still, if the end goal of every human being is only their own personal happiness, it, it just feels like a small way to live. Um, and, which is, and, which is interesting because the same that would claim to each his own actually are convinced that they're sort of broadening their horizon or the, right. or the, the horizons of life. You know what right. I mean? Well, in fact, they're shrinking it. Be, because then the yeah, greatest I, I think and most important it. view is my own. And what I want is of utmost importance. Which is totally myopic. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I don't know how many people take it that deeply, to be honest with you. That's because they, many... they don't realize it. That's a thing. Yeah. Well, it's, no, it's, it's so, I, no, it's like, no, man, like we don't even think about it. And well, then I think right, that's. But, but, but I think. No, because I think you be in the sense that you're thinking about it and even taking it to a theological level, then yeah, sure. I mean, to me, this is like when you compliment someone on their t-shirt one day, you're like, well, how come you didn't, you must not have liked the last yesterday because it didn't, you, you didn't say anything about it yesterday. You're reading way too much into it. Not, not when it comes to like culture and society though, Tom, because ultimately I think all things come down to to spirituality, to a matter of faith and, and where the, one puts that faith in, right? And if no, one so puts their faith in this, like, to each so his you're own. Taking it, you're taking it to the faith thing right away, which for us in, in our circle of three here and to the people, you know, in the theological realm here is all-encompassing and all-important. And I'm simply saying from a very, j just a simple level, Hey man, what do you want to do with your life? Man, I'd really like to be an engineer. No, no, no. I think you should you should be a doctor. No, I want to be an engineer. Well, to each his own. Yeah, like I want to be an engineer and I want to be no a man, doctor. But, but here's the thing. Each his own. Like, but, but that's here's okay. The, I'm not saying and that's what not you're okay. Doing is like that's myopic. You're not thinking like no, dude. no, but no, but listen to this. So so in in conversations with my children. So like th this friend of mine and his wife in conversations with my children. I don't think they realized it, but there were probably at least 10 times that my, I mean, just having a random conversation with the kids and you know, that could be anything from Legos to farts to like, <laughs> you know what I mean? School to, you know, girls and teachers, whatever. Right. And yet this, this same kind of sentiment used to come, uh, come out time and time again, come from their mouths. Like, you know, as long as like you're just you know free and and just like a good person and living a good life, then that like, then that's then that's okay, and that embodies that to each his own thing. So I think there has to be yeah. like, if you want to just live in that ambiguity, then 
ultimately I think it's going to create a sense of, of, of lostness. If yeah. I can, you know, use that word, like we, we as humans simply cannot, I don't think from a secular or a spiritual level, I don't think humans can truly exist in that kind of ambiguity. Yeah. Tom, like so when we're you're sitting right across the table, I'm like, man, I really like rum. And you're like, man, no, it's whiskey. And I say, man, to each his own. Wow. Like, no, but Tom, your rant previously, like literally proved the point. Like you're, <laughs> it did, like, it did. You're like, you're exactly right. Like people don't think about it this way. That's actually the problem. Like we're so shaped and formed by our specific cultural moment in ways that like we don't even see that it just makes sense that that uh, that for me to choose whether I'm an engineer or a doctor is just kind of how I feel about it which in one sense and, it, and I would not- and I would argue that you're taking a very simple statement and taking it to the extreme theological psychological emotional no 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 because look, no, look if, if someone taken. no because if someone if someone says to me okay if someone says to me as long as you're a good person and you're just like Not living your no so what do you want me to do with that be like all right cool man to each his own there's no yeah, that, see, that there's is a value that's a, everyone yes, that's, has an ultimate end whether to they Gabe's, are to Gabe's earlier point that is a teleological statement in and yeah. of itself yeah exactly and I, I would agree with that but that that's taking it a whole nother step further no that is reality like that I understand people don't think that way that doesn't mean that isn't what's true like like so so the point being like yeah you're right people don't think that way and that's actually what Sayers is pointing out is the problem. And I would also point that out as a problem. You're right. In one sense, you know, Junior over here wants to be an engineer. He wants to be a doctor. I don't care. But why is he making that decision? And the answer to that question is actually what's most important. So what do you want him to do? Like get a global perspective on and get everyone's opinion on what he should be? No, and then come to some grand con- consensus conclusion of what no, he should be no but to know that everyone cho- else's opinion no but to know that his choice to be an engineer isn't just simply shaped by some in like inert fact or innate fact that he has a desire to play with numbers for a living that there are external pressures societal circumstances cultural influences that are happening in him that makes him want to say oh i'm going to be an engineer and i'm just going to like kind of isolate myself from anything else in the world I mean, I I would think of it this way, Tom, like, uh, you know, again, because all the all those those sociological, cultural influences that that are that are pressing upon this this person who decides they want to be an engineer. Fine. Okay, I agree with that. But I don't tell them, hey, being an engineer is inherently bad. So what is what is it exactly that you have beef with? It's right. So Tom, I mean, let me, let me just like, I literally do this every day. So I sit down with college student who says, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. And I'm like really trying to figure that out. Pastor Gabe, like, Mm -hmm. what do I do? And so to me, I don't just say, well, do what makes you happy. I don't just say, do what makes you. Now that's the cultural narrative would be to say, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you feel good. I say, I say, who is God uniquely made you to be? 
What do you find the most joy in? And what's the best way you can serve him and your neighbor? And I know you're gonna be like, well, that's just, you're taking it to theological. Yes, because everything is theology. Either it's a theology of self in which you're diving into your own needs and your own wants, or it's a theology of, of service to God and to neighbor. And so, so that to me is the thing. And, and so, however, if I choose to not do a theology of self and choose to do a theology of, of service to God and neighbor, that is going to imply certain constraints on me. That's going to mean I do my vocation as an engineer or as a doctor in a particular way, as opposed to just doing it towards my own ends. So that, that to me is the thing. It's like what you're aiming towards makes all the difference. It dictates which constraints you're willing to put on yourself. Like a Christian sexual ethic, for example, makes no sense in our world unless your aim is the kingdom of God. Sure. A, a Christian social ethic, rightly understood, doesn't make a ton of sense in our world unless your aim is the kingdom of God. A Christian view of money in our world doesn't make any sense in our world unless your aim is the kingdom of God. So, so to me, everything comes down to that and being willing to put constraints on myself because of what I'm aiming towards. And I would also add that everyone without realizing it has – not everyone. The vast majority of people without realizing it have ascribed some kind of teleological, theological meaning to not only their existence but their vocation, et cetera, yep. without realizing it. Whether it's a Buddhist or a Baha'i or a Hindu or a Dharmic or uh, you know, like a Jewish – a Judeo-Christian, like – that's the thing. Like we're so enculturated with it that sometimes we don't even realize the fact that we're making these value statements based on an actual system of beliefs, even yep. if we may or may not necessarily vocalize an adherence to those beliefs yep. or that system of beliefs. And the reality is you can be any of those things Josh just listed. And if you live in 21st century America, the amount of, <coughs> excuse me, cultural influence that is weighed on you. Like, so, so religious belief can be this one thing. And then you have all these other cultural forces at work inside of you that you may end up actually living more like something that you're actually, that is not actually in line with your beliefs because of the cultural forces of 21st century Western post enlightenment society imposes on you. And so yeah. I think that's what Sayers tries to expose in this book is to say, it's not sufficient to say, ah, teach his own. It's not sufficient. That's not a good answer if we're Christians or if you're Baha'i or if you're Jewish, that's not a good answer. That's just a, that's a particular cultural moment way of looking at this world. And really that's, it's, it's actually quite dishonest. What do you mean by that? But meaning you're not, you're not willing to actually own up to the impetus behind that statement. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like I, I would say <laughs> I'm super willing to, to advocate for my way of life, right? to each my own in, in this sense mm -hmm. because of a, a Christian ethic. Yeah. Whereas, so, so. whereas I feel like a lot of Americans, maybe my friend, I don't know, wouldn't be willing to actually plant a flag on some kind of ethic or some That's kind right. of morality or some kind of framework and say, this is actually what I'm adhering to. Instead, I would like to segment everything to the point where literally it seems as if I stand for nothing. And yet what I'm trying to do is ultimately plant a flag on a bunch of somethings. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, uh, so 
Thanks for the beatnik snap, by the way. That was very yeah, Kerouac of you. Really, I really wanted to snap for that. It was good, man. Um, it's So Sayers gets at this. He says, our confusion only increases when we understand the way that our culture segments our lives into compartments. We have our family lives, our work lives, our emotional lives, our sex lives, our spiritual lives, and our recreational lives. We have our finances and our fitness, our health and our political beliefs. Our culture tells us that to be happy, we must find meaning and success in each of these areas. How do we do this? We are told that we must survey the immensity of choice in each segment and then make the right decision that will ensure happiness. Happiness being the key word there. Right. And Ensure, so the, the, yeah. the telos is always happy, but then how you pursue that, you can do it in each one of these segments. So someone in a 21st century Western world may say, ah, yes, Gabe, you are a very religious man. And that's great for you because that's what makes you happy. And I would say, no, <laughs> like, I mean, it does. That's a nice byproduct of it. But that's not why I do it. But not does really. it all the time anyway. <laughs> What's that? I said, but does it all the time anyway? No, and it doesn't. Yeah, uh, I know, right? I say, oftentimes it doesn't. Uh, and and so it's I'm that way because it's true. It's the narrative I live in. Like so, it's it's not a about happiness. It's about living towards a particular truth. About it's about faithfulness. Oh, okay, okay. So to bring this back to. This is what I'm hearing from you guys. Josh, your friend who chose to say, I'm done with the corporate rat race, and I would like to do this thing because it allows us to do a bunch of good things, focus on each other as, as husband and wife. It allows us to not be part of the toxic corporate ladder. We get to uh, visit our friends and, and be very intentional about spending time with friends and family and nieces and nephews and things like that. They're, What's wrong with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good so question. That's that, a good question. Okay, so, that is a good question. So, so let me tell you what. So what, I, what I heard from you two is like this judgment almost of like, but no, that's not right. And that's when I said, whoa, 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 to each his own. Like they've chosen this lifestyle, and you're judging it. All I'm saying is towards what end? So, so let me. And so let me throw the, this. All the ends sound really yes. good. Yeah. Oh, uh, until now. You're ready for the other shoe to drop. Ba-dunk. Um, Or if you're me and wear rainbows, then it's more like oh a smack because it's a sandal, not a boot or a, or, or a wooden clog. It, Josh, you grew up in California. Go on. I know. Yep. Every chance I can to remind you. Every chance I can to remind you, folks, I will. All right. So here's the thing, though. You're You're absolutely right, Tom. You're absolutely right. And yet at the same time, here would be my question. Who, who does that ultimately serve? What do all of those questions ultimately accomplish? And in my conversations about visiting friends, being free, traveling the country, et cetera, et cetera, it is. To me, not just from a theological perspective, but from an anthropological, sociological, how many ever logical words we want to use, seemed seemed very self-centered, not in an egotistical, arrogant kind of way, but just in a very humanist kind of way. Like, I'm going to go visit my friends 
because I want to take the opportunity to like, hey, reminisce on times past. I want to travel the country so I can see the beauty. I want to uh, avoid the the ball and chain of children so that that way I can continue to live the life that I, I want to live. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it was very egocentric in the very definition of the term. So and, I – oh, go ahead. <laughs> and on, just to kind of conclude that thought, to Gabe's point, if we – as Christians believe that the greatest commandment is love God and the second, which is like it is to love neighbor. There, there is no room for, for egocentrism. Like if our ultimate telos is a self-fulfilling happiness, then we actually fail to live into the, the very Imago day we were created in. So, cause it, it speaks to this, like, I think I mentioned this line earlier, but like in the modern West, we desire connection, but not commitment. And so this is, it's actually, I mean, I'm not sure Josh's friend is a wonderful guy, but, but just to use that as the illustration here is that like connection. Yeah. I want to be in the lives of my nieces and nephews. I want to visit my friends, but I'm not willing to actually sit through it when it's boring and mundane or when it's messy like I'm going to show up. It's going to be fun. I'm going to have the connection, but I'm not going to go through the massive commitment and see. And, and it really, it's commitment is where we're forged. Commitment is where real love shows up. I and mean, that's why we, that's why you commit to the person you marry is, is or kids. Commit. We, we all have, that's kids, why you commit to having right? children. We, like, we all have kids. If there's one thing that I've learned about myself is that like children are the biggest test of commitment. Yep. How many times have we wanted to kill our kids because we're just like, how stupid can you be? <laughs> I mean, of, of course, like ignoring the fact we were also that stupid when we were. You know that they're going to listen to this twenty years from now. Oh, I therapy. hope they okay. do. August Harper, Rose, Silas, I love you, but boy, were you stupid when you were five years old. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, let me just give you an example. Like, this literally happened to me this Sunday. Like, I'm throwing a party at my house for the students, the university students at my church. And uh, and I saw Cravassier. Yeah, you know. And I was talking to this kid as he's walking out. I was like, "Hey, man, you coming to the party on the seventh? And he's like, "Oh, maybe. I don't even know what I'm doing on the seventh. I'm like, "I'm literally inviting you to an event on the seventh. That's what you're doing." Like he's like, but he was like, "I don't have any plans that day, so I don't know if I can go." I'm like, "This is your plan." But it was like this, like radical fear of committing to something two weeks out. Um, and that's just endemic in our culture as opposed mm. to saying like, Hey, these are the people I'm going to choose to be with. These are the people I'm going to choose to, to invest my life into cast like, lots with for better or for worse, right. richer or poorer. Okay. And so I just heard, I just heard two things out of you guys that I am, boy, I want to dig deeper into one is if you don't ha settle down and have a job, and don't like, don't pursue any dreams because that's not being committed. I heard that. And then I heard if you don't have kids, you're an awful human being. I just heard those two things. <laughs> I don't know how you heard those two things. Yeah. Uh, I, no, 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 I, I would no. say, I would say having kids taught me some really important no, no, no. life lessons. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But 
but what I heard is, wow, if you go out and travel the countryside, that that's so selfish, go get a job and be normal. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so happy you brought this up. I'm so happy you brought this up, Tom, because my favorite, favorite Bible verse of all time, and I have to chalk this up to my wife because she's the one who really got me sold on it. All right. But let me just so in Acts, uh, John and Peter, all right. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. All right. Here are some pretty normal dudes doing some pretty crazy. I mean, they're saying some crazy things, some them, some things to the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the Jewish crowds that were, were quite offensive, right? And here's the response that the people in the crowds had, the, the religious leaders had. And they said, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Acts 4, 13. And that's something that I've come to grasp onto because we have this Western notion, this American idea of exceptionalism and of greatness, where if you are ordinary, if you are common, if you are just normal, right, that you have failed. You have to be great, right? I mean, shoot, even Larry Osborne from didn't he write from good to great? No, it's Jim Collins, man. Oh, Jim Collins, whatever. Anyway, sorry. I mean, Osborne bought into that though. We all know it. No, Osborne didn't. He's kind of the anti-Collins, but oh shoot. So just well, I hate leadership books. So I'm sorry, Larry. My bad. <laughs> if you still want to sponsor the podcast. So all I'm saying is this, right? So like, what's wrong with being just ordinary, normal, putting down just like roots, like have has happened century after century, millennia after millennia. Not nothing. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. But what I heard you just what I heard you guys just say is if you don't do that, then you're in the wrong. So that the you're that you're a selfish right. selfish people if right. you if you pursue anything but having children and a job. Yeah. And I would not I Tom, I get what you're saying. That is not what I'm saying. So let me clarify that. Thank Thank you, Tom, for the opportunity to clarify what I was really trying to say. Thanks, Tom. Sweet. Thanks, Tom. Um, I would certainly not want to say that. I have friends that are doing similar things to Josh's friend, uh, that sort of thing. Again, I guess what I, what I have to get back to, though, is towards what end are you doing this? If it's if the end is 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 in service to neighbor or to God, then thumbs up. And so if that means you road trip the country for a year and you just learn about all sorts of different people and how you can best love your neighbor and that's going to help you get rooted somewhere and really connect with people, or you maybe learn that you are meant to travel, but you're meant to travel and really bless people and really invest in people uh, when you show up that you're, you're a type of person that's fueled by that and you can show up and bless people in a particular way, then like go for it. Okay, folks, here's the thing. We just went on a really long tangent that was not 
germane to this conversation. And so we're going to bring us back in. And Gabe, you were talking about what? So what I was trying to get at was, Tom, you you had taken issue with how Josh and I kind of described a life which desires connection but is unwilling for commitment. And you you framed it rather unfairly, but nonetheless uh, stated I that. Did. Uh, I did. I think you did. But uh, seemed to be under the seem to have the understanding that that Josh and I were saying that if you don't just follow some sort of norm of, you know, husband, wife, nine to five job, 2.5 kids, then you're being selfish, uh, which is not what we were saying. And so what I was trying to get at was like, you know, let's take Josh's friends, for example, or I have friends like that who have this sort of wanderlust who, you know, they're young and they just kind of want to journey around and explore things and whatever else, like that's fine. But the question that I'm always asking is towards what end are you doing that? And, and if the end is purely your own happiness, it's going to be inherently selfish. And you can, you can say any sort of niceties you want, but if you're unwilling to be blood in and blood out with some people, it's, it's always just going to end up being about you and you'll just disconnect when things get hard or you just won't be there when they're hard or when it's messy or when it's boring. That's the other thing. I mean, we just fear boredom in this culture. And, and so um, that, that's what I'm saying is like, so, if that's your deal, fine. But do it towards the end of loving other people in like a, a real way, not a surface way. So I'm going to take it, just throw out a very normal example. An individual decides, hey, I'm good with numbers. I'm going to become an engineer. What's the motivation around becoming an engineer? Hey, I'm going to... I think that the things that I'm good at are are going to be able to help me have a profitable, just bare, like not riches kind of thing. Just I will right. be able to support my family and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Which is what I'm hearing is a selfish endeavor. No. It's the, the goal is to provide for the family and provide this, you know, That's so great. that I can have a house and then I can have this and this and this. Good. You know, that. So that's the goal. That's the goal fine. is to subsist in life without going into the poorhouse. Yeah, that's fine. So is that a, is that a, is that is that okay? Yeah, again, or is that or is that not a high or is that not a high high enough minded ideal? I would encourage you to think more deeply about that. So, I mean, I put it this way, like I literally just last year had a kid graduate engineering degree from the University of Michigan, sharp guy, sure to get a job. I mean, his starting salary is more than what mine will ever be. Okay. And, and so he's going out in that and he's like, so pastor Gabe, like, I don't know, man, like, like, what do I do? Should I, should I do this? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is like, you're gifted at it. You can do things I can't. And so let's, and I said, but as you go into this, I want you to think through all the ways uh, that this serves your neighbor. And I want you to do that to the best of your ability. And so he goes into his work and he says, okay, well, uh, I want to design well. I want to engineer things well. You know, it's auto engineering. So I, I want to keep people safe. I want to sustain people's lives in this world. Boom, that's a great thing. Good, do that well. Uh, I want to love and serve my fellow employees really well and, and be a great guy to work with. Awesome, that's a good thing to do too. Uh, and then... Yeah, I'm going to make some money and I want to use that and, and I want to give it towards the local church and I want to give it towards mission and I want to give it to the poor. 
Uh, and I want to provide for my family and I want to help my kids grow up with a healthy life and have the things that they need in this world. Awesome. That's really great too. And so you look at all that and it says you're entering that with, with pretty great motives. It's a pretty great tell us you're aiming towards the right things. That's not a self-serving endeavor. It is noticing who you are. It's good to be who you are. It's good to recognize who you are. It's good to express that, but towards what end are you doing that? And so that's, that to me is, is, is the beautiful thing about this young man's life is that that's how he sees it. He says, yeah, this is how I want to do that, that I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to live a relatively comfortable life, but everything I do is going to be towards these ends for the love of other people. Sure. And I mean, I think I take your point and I, and, and I think it's a good one. I think 99.9% .9 of people are not in the position to do that. Yeah. And they should be, but they're not. We yep. know that we, we know that 70% of this world lives on $2 a day kind of thing. And it is simply, how can I get to the next meal? How can I, yep. how can I get clean water to my family? And, and I'm to sorry. that end Tom, that's what makes the sort of bizarre, like just be what I want to be for the sake of being me 21st century American ideal inherently selfish is that recognizing that the majority of the world doesn't have the luxury that we do and choosing to say, well, I'm going to use that luxury towards my own ends as opposed to using that luxury towards serving others. Sure. Sure. So, I think my, my taking ex exception to the argument was that there are certain circumstances. I think you can just say, look, I'm just going to choose to do this because I, it'll be more fun to do this than that. And I can achieve the same goals. And there shouldn't be a judgment on that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, yeah. I, I don't know though. It's time. Like I, what, what, what I, is your, what is your fear of, what is What is your fear of judgment? Like, what is it? What is the reticence towards either making or accepting judgment? I don't think, I mean, doesn't scripture tell us over and over that we're not the ones to judge? Yeah, yes, but at the same time, Jesus is pretty clear and scripture is pretty, pretty clear on the things by which we are to be judged, which is yeah. love of God, love of neighbor, um, humility, justice, sacrifice. I mean, I mean, you, you could list off a, a whole bunch of descriptors for that, but that's the thing. Like we as we as we as Americans are really, really afraid of this like judgment thing, right? Of making any kind of judgment statement, of being judged, of judging others, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we're guilty of that in the church as well. Like we, I, I mean, I can't, it's, it's almost nauseating to see that we are unwilling to stand for anything, um, you know, because we don't want to offend anyone, so to speak. But at the same time, like Jesus was a pretty offensive dude. Like God is a pretty offensive and scandalous God. Yeah, but that's God and that's Jesus. So Tom, he can is I... offensive. Like my, my argument yeah. in this conversation is that we started this conversation with this friend who decided to do this for all intents and purposes. sounds like he's doing it for pretty decent reasons and we're judging him for it and saying, man, you don't have kids. That's bad. You don't settle down. That's bad. You're doing this for purely selfish reasons. That's bad. 
and and so I guess I have a little bit of a problem with that. So let me just back up for a second here, Tom. There's I, I understand where you're getting at, and this will maybe be helpful for our, our good listener too, because I, I don't want anyone listening to this to think that like I know Josh and I, for example, are sitting here and like every person we meet who doesn't embody our specific lifestyle, we're just like, oh, you selfish jerk. Like I'm well, I mean, Lord have mercy if they embody our specific lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> but um but there is, I think, a place to take a step back and look at American culture from a 30,000 foot view and say, are there inherent flaws in the way that people make decisions? So I don't look at like Josh's buddy and be like, golly, what a horrible person. I don't do that. I just say, look at how this cultural narrative has shaped this person. Is that the best way to live? Is that really what we're meant to be? And it's okay to ask those questions and ascertain those things. If I ever met him, I wouldn't sit there and be like, you jerk. I, mean, I got tons of friends that live lives the way that they do. Which and, I didn't. And, and, and exactly. let me just clarify this. Like the we had a great visit. It was so amazing to catch up with him to meet his wife and to share that time together. Never once was I thinking to myself, uh, what a terrible, terrible experience. What a terrible person you are. But it did make me pause and think like, what is the narrative that is driving this journey, right. this road trip? And so I think to to place judgment on a uh, on a on an overall sort of cultural narrative and not the individual who's caught up in it, like that to me is the distinction I'm trying to make here. Like, I I don't know that dude. I'm not going to judge him. And and I also know. Oh, by the way, like I'm a turd who's super selfish too. And I'm not perfect at like, I'm not selfless in my work. Like I want glory. I want, you know, I'm not selfless as a husband. Like I, I'm a jerk sometimes. Like, so it's, it's come from a place of recognizing like none of us has this perfect, but what is the idea we're aiming towards? Like, that's what I want to assess. I like, I just, this is not about judging an individual. This is about understanding our culture and realizing that it's shaping us towards an end that I don't think is good, and that end can be inherently selfish. That's all we got, folks. That's Pine Class Preachers for the night. Uh, there's a number you can text us. I'm sure it's out there. 612-208-6258. Yeah, we'd love to hear some comments on this one. We'd love for you to uh, go to iTunes and, and and give us a review. That's that's big for us right now. We'd love to We'd love to have more reviews so that other people can know that we're out there so that other people can find value in what we're talking about and hopefully uh, have a little better uh, little bit better understanding of the Christian faith and hopefully a little bit closer relationship with Christ. So go give those reviews. Thanks, friends. Good night. <laughs>